Hello, Texans, and welcome to the podcast as we continue to talk about candidates for the Texans head coaching job. And another interview went down that really sparked a lot of reaction, Johnny. Sure did. As Josh McCown gets another look by this staff, this squad, if you will, Nick Casario-led search. And last year he was interviewed for the job. Obviously didn't get it. It was David Culley. This year interviewed for the job, and social media goes nuts. And I get it, and I know you have a lot of thoughts on this, and you were closer to the flame, so to speak, last year, the 2020 season, I should say, because McCown was here on the squad and sort of was a player coach, although not with that title. And you were in the inner tier during that COVID-stricken year. I know last year was a COVID-stricken year. I was in the inner tier this past season. But – what did you make of McCown as the player coach? And I again, I'm using that term, not the Houston Texans. And by the way, should we disclaimer this right now? We have not talked to Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, oh. Cal McNair about this Nobody. surge. You know, it's really interesting how they don't ask our opinion on these things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like, is Don Coriel still available? Yeah. Uh, oh, he's dead. Darn it. Uh, Joe Gibbs, is he a possible? No. But anyway, yeah, they don't ask our opinion, but we have uh, takes on things and information on things. Anyway, player coach, they didn't call him that, but I'm calling him that, Josh McCown, for the Houston Texans during the brief time he was here. So in the summer, I think it was the summer of 2020, and I you know, follow McCown's career. He's from Texas. He played at uh, SMU, then went to Sam Houston. And so I followed him for a long time, and I've always just read and there was a NFL Films um, uh, segment that they did on his daughters wearing, like, all of his different jerseys, all the different places he had been. And it's I, a lot of them. It's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. I had seen different mic'd ups. But then uh, – so I had a pretty – I thought it was a pretty fair opinion on it. Everything I had heard about him was great. Leader of men. Like, all the things you want out of a coach. And I'm putting air quotes up of a coach. And – Near the end of his career, one that I followed from afar was when 2018 when he was with the Jets. He was the backup to Sam Darnold. He was a rookie quarterback, and you would hear Darnold talk about McCown. And it was almost as if Darnold was talking as I would listen. It sounded, I was like, whoa, whoa, McCown's still playing. Because it sounded like Darnold was talking about McCown as a coach. That's the way it, it, it felt. So in 2019, he goes to Philadelphia Eagles. Fast forward to the summer of 2020. We find out that the Eagles were the team on the show All or Nothing. Yeah. And it was essentially the Hard Knocks in season before the Hard Knocks in season. It's pretty much the same, isn't it's it? It's the same thing. Just a rebrand, Hard same Knocks thing. during yes. the season. That's to- what they did with the Colts. Exactly. Totally rebrand. They Which, started by with the, the Cardinals. Way, it was so oh, good. The you last, liked that, didn't you? The last you episode. You I think I it. talked about that in our last podcast, but it's worth mentioning again. See the last episode. It's so good satisfying to see the Colts lose to the Jags and miss the playoffs. Anyway, go on. So I watched the whole season, and I wondered – I knew how the thing ended. Yeah. yeah. I knew how it ended, so I was very curious. Their, their season in 2019, they make a run for the playoffs, mm-hmm. but they get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, and McCown has to go in the game because Wentz gets hurt and gets a concussion because Clowney had landed on him, and so he's out after maybe two possessions. So McCown's got to go in 40 years old. Whatever he's got. And he he didn't do a ton that day, but he pulled his hamstring at some point running too. And he's doing everything possible to try and – and I'm cheering like hell for him 
Drew Doherty and I have had this conversation a million times because he started at SMU, and then his final year after there were some things, and the, the irony of all that was the quarterback that they were playing at SMU mm-hmm. in the 2000 season that they kind of were in and out with a couple of guys, but the guy they were playing was a guy named David Page. Well, he ended up being a year behind me at the University of Virginia when I was going through getting my master's. Oh, wow. And so David would show his, you know, show me the 2000 team, show me him playing. He showed me him playing against Julius Peppers, getting sacked by Peppers. And so Page then didn't go back for 2001, but neither did McCown. Right. And so McCown and I going to Sammy State. So Drew and I have talked about this a lot because Drew's a Sam, uh, He's SMU so grad. bitter about the yes. lack of – So mad that McCown left SMU oh, yeah. to go to Sammy Houston. So I watch the, this season, and I text Drew. And I kid you not, this was before the 2020 season even started. Mm-hmm. I text Drew, and I'm like, I want Josh McCown with us any way, shape, or form. In any capacity, you really it, felt that way. Uh, yeah. I said, I've watched this. I've read so much about him. I've seen the stuff with the Jets. I've seen him mic'd up. I'd never met him. Everybody, though, that I talked to said, You'll, you, know, you would love Josh McCown. He is fantastic. He's great. Look at all these different teams. The teammates talking about him. Players that, you know, like Sam Donald, the way that Sam Donald talked about him with his time with the Jets. The Eagles, how Carson Wentz talked about him, how he talked with Carson Wentz on the sideline. Like, all that would be mic'd up. You'd see McCown come over. I mean, it was fascinating. And I got through with that, and I just said, Drew, Joshua Count is a guy I want with this Texans organization in, in any way, shape, or form. Now, did I fast forward to 2021 last year when he gets the interview? Did I first of all? I didn't even think he was going to end up with us as a player. Right. But then when I heard he was coming here as a player, I thought, okay, well, this is pretty good practices being a coach. So maybe this is a good thing. Yeah. Maybe he can end up coaching with us and in, in some capacity. This will be awesome because I think he would be really good for our organization. Well, I'm at the Senior Bowl, driving to the stadium, driving to South Alabama Stadium, and I'm listening to the guys in 610, and they report, oh, yeah, Josh McCown got an interview as head coach. And it's funny because my first reaction was like, oh, interesting. It wasn't like, what in the (laughs) – it was like, that was just interesting because I've thought over the years, like, what is – what's the role of an NFL head coach? Like, what – What's the expectation of the mm-hmm. NFL head coach? And I think the expectation has changed significantly over the years. Well, he's got to be X's and O's, and he's got to be this, and he's got to make you know these game management decisions, et cetera. And uh, he's got to be a leader of men. You got all these different things that you're looking for in a in a head coach, right? Right. And Josh McCown wasn't playing a lot the last four or five years of his career, so those essentially were years spent as a pseudo quarterback coach, and. I don't really care that he didn't have coach in front of his title, if you will, as a leader. I love him. Now, as a head coach, boy, I can understand completely why people outside the building look at it and go, what in the Sam hell? I get it. I understand that completely. But if I think about a leader that I would want next to me, that I'd want a foxhole, I'd want Josh McCown. Wow. I really would. That's strong I, stuff. I would, I would want Josh McCown. Now, again, like I said, as head coach, well, there are going to be things that he's going to be hit with mm. that he's never been hit with before, regardless of being a player or not. But when I saw what he went through in 2019 in Philadelphia, where he would practice all week, he would get on a plane Friday morning, he'd fly to Charlotte, he'd coach his son's game in high school that night, get up the next morning, fly back to wherever Philadelphia was playing, and be ready to go. 
studying the playbook on the plane, making sure he was all set and good with yeah. the playbook or any changes that happened, that he was ready to go for 2019, such that he could go in a playoff game and at least keep the engine running. He didn't have a lot going on around him. Right. Miles Sanders was already out of the game, but he kept him in that game in large part because of all those years of experience. So from that perspective, yeah, and, and again, do I see it as a tough sell, Mark? Uh, yeah, because of, course. because of how things have transpired over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Yes. If this was, if this was the first time something unconventional was happening, eh, then maybe I could – Maybe it's a little bit easier to sell. Maybe, hey, you've been doing the, the traditional thing all these years. Maybe something unorthodox worked. Well, I think people would say, well, you've done unorthodox the last three years. You know, OB went from head coach to head coach and didn't tell everybody he was the GM. The next year he was head coach and GM. Well, then that didn't work. So then we went to Nick. It was Nick and Cully. And then it goes to Nick and now a new head coach. And so people look at it and think, well, it's it's been unorthodox the last few years, and I think that's maybe what people are having a, an issue with. But as far as a leader, as far as knowing X's and O's, as far as a guy that, of course, what's most important is how he would come in here and do the coaches show with you and I. Well, that's really important, Johnny. He's, exactly. He I think you do a great job. And we have that. so much to talk to him about because of all the teams he's played <laughs> yeah. for. I'd be like, all right, enough on what's going on right now. Yeah. Let's talk about the past some more. Yeah. Uh, McCown is in the class of 2 yeah. So David Carr, Joey Harrington, and way down the line, Josh McCown, yeah. yep. who lasted eons longer than the other two who were drafted in the top three, yeah. including car number one overall yes. by this franchise. I just think that's a funny trivial stat yeah. about him or a factoid about him. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said, and uh, in no particular order, let's go through some of it here. The leader thing, some people are great leaders. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great NFL coach. That's an excellent point. I do like the fact, look, if it's going to be this guy, we're doing a podcast here and all the candidates, and so we're talking about Josh McCown today. I do like the fact that he's played very recently. I think that helps an awful lot with yes. an awful lot of things like practice and mm-hmm. the way players feel about things and how a locker room is and a modern locker room because he's seen it in 02 yep. and he's seen it in 2020. Right. I mean, that's pretty strong stuff. And he's been a player during COVID, which who knows when that's going to really right. end right. and all the testing and everything else that goes into that. So he has an understanding of this that's really cool. Now, I always say this with anybody who's a first-time head coach, and a lot of these candidates will be, other than Brian Flores, they're all first-time head coaches to be, right? Right. So with McCown, sitting in the big chair would be extremely different. Seth Payne brought up something really good uh, on Friday as well when he talked about, look, first-time head coach is one thing. First-time coach in the NFL is another. The grind of it. Now, he's Josh McCown is a super smart guy. He knows how many hours they work. He knows what goes into it. Intellectually, he totally understands that. But it's another thing to understand it and live it, right? To actually live through that grind. doubt. You know, like, oh, man, you know, I've now been in the office till whatever it is, 10 at night, whatever the hour is, for eight weeks, and I'm done. You know, I'm not saying he would be that way, no. but it's a possibility it's a somebody would point. be that way who's never done it because if you've never done it, you've never done it. Yeah. it that's just it. You know, it's like people who think they can do a talk show, right? Yeah. Four hours, Monday through Friday. That's how, you know, you just talk about sports, right? You do Monday's show and you go, oh, man, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Monday, do it four Monday, more times this week. Monday, yeah. And then Friday, you're like, yeah, that was kind of tough. Now, three weeks in, oh, my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm exhausted and I have I that's the thing. You got to keep the engine running. The mouth, it's a motor skill when you're doing a talk show. And a lot of people, it, people who do good podcasts would not last a week doing 4 hours of talk radio right. a day. Not all people because I'm sure a lot of them could handle it. Right. But I you know in the 90s and look, this is a podcast so we can stretch out here. I don't have to hit the break. In the 90s, I worked for a station, and we were picking up a network show with the comedian David Brenner. Remember David Brenner? Uh, yep. You know, he was just—he was like kind of a, a Jerry Seinfeld before Seinfeld, but not nearly yeah, yeah, as, yeah. as successful. And he used to uh, guest host the Tonight Show and stuff yeah. like that. Anyway, oh yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did a, a four-hour talk show. He was or three or four-hour talk show. He was going to do this. It was like yeah. David Brenner is going to do a talk show. Won't it be great? And then stations were looking for programming to fill time, being yeah. news talk, and the format was very popular at the time. So we put him on. He was done in like three weeks. He's like, I can't take this anymore. You know, <laughs> Dick Cavett, who had done a yeah. super successful talk show yes. on TV throughout most of his life, was starting to do a three-hour radio show late in his career. But he faded because it's just too much. Yeah. So that's my point about some of these coaches uh, or just projected people who would be really good as a head coach or even as, as an assistant coach. The hours will kill you. Now, that doesn't mean he can't handle it, Johnny. Right. Maybe he can handle it. Like I said, he intellectually understands this. Right. Maybe he could handle it. That would be cool. All right, so let's say this. He's got the hours. Good. You mentioned it. Head coaching, has it changed? Has it evolved? Yeah, maybe. But the coordinators have to be there for yes. it. He oh. cannot coordinate and head coach. Right. And the, for those of you saying, well, maybe he should jump in and be a coordinator first. Yeah, maybe. But that's hard, too. And I don't want to say that might be harder, but in some ways it might be harder. It's very different. Put it that way. Here's two words for you. Mike Vrabel. Yeah. Good, good. Great comparison there. That's actually a very good comparison. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all, I mean, we watched, we watched Vrabel as a position coach. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was maybe a year or two in. Excellent. You, you and I were sitting next door where we used to be and we're like, well, that dude's a head coach. There's no doubt. He's going to be head coach somewhere. What made us say that? I think it was just the command. And the respect that he mm -hmm, got, mm -hmm. but but the other thing was, we could see his players, individual players, getting better. That's like big. we watched Whitney Merciless mm -hmm. in 2014, and obviously there were concerns about Whit in 20 in 2014 because I'm sitting there watching 2013. I'm like, okay, Whit's got some pass rush ability. There's something there, but man, he does not play the run. He doesn't play the game violently, etc. Vrabel came, and it was a constant. It was every single day. Vrabel just beat him down. Beat him. And all of a sudden, you started seeing the results. And then Whitney started seeing the results. And then that the Vrabel onslaught slowed because now he was seeing he was seeing it. They all were seeing it. They're like, all right, he's doing Now let's expand. Let's do more teaching. Well, I've gotten into him. I've gotten what I want. Now let's go. And obviously, you can see it with what he's done with Tennessee. But for me – we could see how players reacted to Vrabel. I mean, we watched him play four square, and he's sitting there playing four square, competitive, pushing them every yeah. single day to get the highest level of competition. Shane Bowen was there too. Yes, I saw Shane <laughs> on the field after the game uh, that we played against Tennessee in Week 18, and he's just kind of shaking his head like, "Man, this stuff is just too stressful." And, and you bring up a great point, Mark, about the coaching aspect. It's real. I mean, I can speak to it on a much smaller level because growing up here in Texas I never saw my dad mm -hmm. on a Sunday I never saw him because they were in game planning for the they were in at eight o'clock in the morning 
And they didn't get home until 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. On a night, Sunday. On a Sunday. For high school football. And I'm just like, so I understood that it needed to happen. But then when I had to do it, and I didn't have quite the setup that they did in Texas, so I would do a lot at my own. Yeah. I mean, my wife didn't understand a lot of times, hey, are you coming? And I lived just on the other side of the football field. I'm like, honey, I got one more game to get through, and I got to break it all the way down. So it's going to take me another 90 minutes. And so you got to handle all that. And there's so many of the things that we don't quite get um, when, you know, as a player versus now I'm the coach. And I remember thinking as a coach, holy crap, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. Wow, I, I certainly did not know that. And then you have a few L's. How does that and feel? And then you start questioning everything. Am you I doing question it right? Your, you question everything. Yeah. Every decision you've ever made. Mm-hmm. Why did I get into coaching? Why did I do this? The the L's are killers. Now, obviously, the dubs end up being really cool. Those sure. are awesome. And that's what brings you back. It's that shot on 18 yeah. from 175, and you knock it within three feet, and you're like, I'm coming back, baby. <laughs> I'm back next week. Where are we playing? Where are we playing? Champions, I'm in. And then you get out there and you're on 14 going, why did I ever do this? That's kind of what coaching is. Coaching is like a round of golf. It's like oh. a, it's, it's honestly like a round of golf. And so you know that. And, and as a player, it, you know, it's one of those things where, yes, 24-hour rule, you got to win, you got to get beyond it, you got to lose, you got to forget about it, all that kind of stuff. I think as a player, it's a little bit easier to do. To move on from. And as a coach, dealing with all that is very tricky. Seth brings up a really good point. Um, from that that standpoint, and but you be- brought up a good point. I want you to finish this. The Vrabel thing. Yeah. What did Vrabel do in seventeen? He was a coordinator, coordinator here. Didn't go well. Lost a few. Lost Whitney. Lost Watt. Lost players. Yeah, lost players. Lost players. Still. Tough season. Uh, so I can't really fully evaluate him as a coordinator right. here. However, he gets the head coaching job in Nashville. What does he do on the defense? He hires Dean Pease. Yes. He says, you know what? I'm going to hire an expert to coach the defense yep. so I don't have to deal with it. Right. Because I know he's got it. Right. And I've got an offensive coordinator named Matt LaFleur. Yes. Who I Thank know you. can handle this. Right. All right. And I'm just going to be here and be the head coach, and I'm going to get involved and know what's going on, but I don't have to do their job for them. And that's it, baby. And LaFleur, I told you the story, you know, week two, I taught them upstairs, yeah. and I just felt like – he kind of channeled Vrabel, you know, yeah. he's, and maybe he's like that anyway. He's kind of a tough guy. He doesn't, you know, he looks like, uh, you know, he's, he's, he should be in high school musical part right. three. He should be with Zach Efron at East high and the wildcats. I mean, LaFleur is like 43, 44 years old and he looks like a teenager, but he's a tough guy like Vrabel in his own way. Here's the other thing about Vrabel too. Mm-hmm. And I've, I'm, I'm convinced, of, I'm convinced of this thing that, I'd like for my head coach and my quarterback to have gone through some sort of adversity in life. Hmm. I don't want everything to have been easy. Yeah. And I know people are, he's with the Patriots. He won rings. <laughs> yeah, you realize, you do realize that after two or three years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, mm-hmm. he was doing nothing. Yeah. He was going nowhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. was not a highfalutin. Steelers, mm-hmm. he's our guy. It was like, no, we're moving. We're, Patriots, all right, fine, move on. Go, it go took to a while for him to become yes. Mike Vrabel, the player that we all understand yes. him and to I be. Think, God, I can't believe I'm going to do this because mm-hmm. I know how we both feel about the Patriots. But Tom Brady's man in the arena 
did a uh, one of their seasons. So they they basically did a little hour. They did a mini documentary, an hour documentary on each of the Super Bowl seasons that Brady has been part of. So for the 2003 season, they had Brady, and then they had they always interviewed two other people. So one show was like Giselle and Ob. Mm-hmm. One was Julian Edelman. Um, and this one was Teddy Bruschi and Vrabel. And it was really interesting. It was a really interesting insight into Vrabel himself, just listening to Vrabel and how Vrabel felt like he had to come to every single practice with – they called themselves the edgers because they had to come to practice with that edge, that they were always poking and prodding and moving and – and sticking and 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 jiving it with you know I think back to this coaching with Whitney, and I think about how much he pushed and just hammered Whitney every day on little things, and I could just see it with Whit. There'd be days where Whit would just drop his head like what, the? but then Whit started putting that into practice, and then you saw Whit start to kind of gain the same thing Vrabel did. He started having that little bit of an edge. He started he kept working his ass off. And Vrabel made the point of, oh, you watch film for thirty minutes? I watched it for three hours. Are you gonna match me? And I don't know if if Josh McCown thinks that way and and does that, but I do think that Josh is gonna have an understanding of how players tick. That's important. That's hugely important, especially so if you've never been a coach before. Right. To understand how your players tick and what gets through to them. And Vrabel could find it because he always had that edge and he would push guys. But he also knew he had the, he was kind of like the Chinese finger trap or the little finger lock thing. Yes. You know that thing. The harder you pull, the stronger the lock becomes. Right. Which is kind of counterintuitive. Like, no, you pull and it comes out. It's counterintuitive because you got to kind of push in, which is odd. Touch, right? There's exactly. You know what? Thirty-eight special said, "Hold on loosely, but don't let go." Right. If you cling too tight, you're going to lose control. Right. And I think that a guy that has been around a locker room, around players for eighteen, nineteen, twenty years, whatever it was, is going to understand that maybe more so than somebody that has just been in coaching for two, three, four, five years. Yeah, I, look, that's a. There are a lot of pluses here to that. I think the lack of coaching is a definite factor. Yeah, and the and world, I'm not pooing that at all. No, no, no. At I mean, all, you have to acknowledge that. And you know, look, would it serve him well to be on somebody's staff for five years? Yeah, it would. Uh, is is this a possibility to happen anyway? Well, they talked to him twice, so yeah. I guess it is right. Yeah. And. Does the fact that he's not been on a staff for five years mean automatically mean that it's not going to work? Doesn't mean it's not going to work. Right. This could work. Right. Okay, another movie reference: Gene Wilder and Young <laughs> Frankenstein. <laughs> it could work, but it, it could work because of all the things we said about the type of person he is, the right. kind of help he'll have here with right. the staff with Casario. Uh, look, don't discount the lovey smith thing i have no idea what would happen with the staff and lovey and all of that but lovey had him in chicago right and they loved him in chicago i talked to my friend jeff joniak voice of the bears we know him Mm -hmm. and jeff said this guy had an infectious personality look there's a i don't even have to say this or get this from other people i just have to look at the amount of years he's been in the league 
and his numbers, yeah. which are not voluminous. Right. There's a reason why McCown has been in the league for 100 years. It's because they love having him there, and he probably plays pretty well in August. I could right. probably pull up the preseason yeah. stats, and they're pretty good in shows that, you know what, he'll be a good backup in case the starter goes out. But people know he's not really going to be a starter, that he's just going to be a backup, but they want him around because he's a good player coach, and that's why he lasted so long there. Yeah. And now he's got an opportunity, maybe, to coach in this league. I'm sure he's got an opportunity to coach in the league somehow, but obviously talking about a head coaching opportunity is big, big news. So, look, I think it could work. As far as the thinking outside the box, doing something unconventional, doing something against the grain, look, the Texans, I know, and this has been pointed out by many, have done things against the grain. Bill O'Brien, general manager, against yes. the grain. You yes. know, I mean, you look at David Culley, no coordinate experience. That's not totally unusual because he's been a quarterback's coach and a passing game coordinator and all that. And Harbaugh and Andy Reid, two of his big bosses, are very successful, weren't coordinators before they were head coaches. So there was some precedent there. This is really way out. There's more precedent in the NBA, for instance. You know, you yeah. talk about Steve Nash. But yes. he's not Steve Nash. Steve Nash is MVP, right? McCown's not that. But maybe McCown is something maybe even more important. You know, which is a guy who had to make the team every year. Adversity. Adversity in that way. On right. field, on practice field adversity. I got to make the team this year. I'm not guaranteed anything. If I don't play well, and, and look, for a guy like McCown, if he doesn't play well in August, he gone. Done. Adversity. It's, it's over. It's tough. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he's lived through some of that. And who knows? But it, it's hard to get anybody to say anything bad about him. In fact, they say Vrabel-like things in a backup quarterback, but in the league yes. a thousand years kind of way. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe it could work, and it's pretty interesting. Here's what I think about. I just think about how things went down over the next you know, three years, and obviously we won a division in 18-19. So, I think – I don't even know if there was a decision to make at that particular point. But Rick Smith left the organization to be with his ailing wife in mm -hmm. at the end of 2017. Correct. That was when Mike Vrabel left to take the Tennessee job. Yep. And I wonder, A, what it would have been like had Vrabel taken over as the head coach here at that point. What would people have said about him in Houston here? Never been a head coach. Mm. His one year as a coordinator, they were 31st or 30th or 31st in the league. What would they have said about Vrabel? <laughs> Fast forward to this weekend. When the number one seed in the AFC, the Tennessee Titans, are mm. playing led by one Mike Rabel, what would people have said at that particular point? Uh, at that particular point, I just think it would have been an interesting discussion. You're right. There would have been a lot of doubt, you know, because, I mean, was Bill was a firing of Bill O'Brien at the end of 2017 justified by the outside world? Right. I think yes. You know, if yeah. you look at, like, all right, a coach goes 4-12. and 12. I know he had injuries. Well, but just the timing of it, too, the fact that, obviously, Rick and OB for a few years had been kind of butting heads. Right. And then Rick steps away. Could that have been an opportunity to, to clean house completely? Like I said, Bill then turned around in 2018-2019, one AFC the AFC South both yeah. years. And With Romeo coming back as the defensive right. coordinator. The other exactly. thing about that, particular to the Texans, of course, was Watson got hurt. Now Watson's coming back, and they made magic together for six and a half right. games. And you wanted to see the encore of that. Absolutely. You wanted to see, oh, my gosh, where are they going to go? Because we never really saw that again on a consistent basis. Right. As consistent right. as 19 touchdown passes in six and a half games. Right. I mean, that was ridiculous production. We never saw it again. Yeah. You know, that was amazing. New England, 
Seattle. I mean, teams on the schedule, Kansas City, that were good teams. Kansas City was good back then, folks. Yeah. Look it up. I know Mahomes wasn't playing yet, but they were good. They, they were, were a good. playoff team. Yeah. So Kansas City existed before Patrick Mahomes. They, I mean, Although Andy Reid did yeah. well. Starting in 2013, he turned that whole sucker around. He just yep. took it to another level with Mahomes. Yes. Absolutely. So good for him and good for them. But it's an interesting point you bring up, Johnny. And look, it could work. It would be highly unconventional. Like you say, it's a tough sell to a lot of the general public yes. and media. And it is a fair point to say there are a lot of guys you're passing over who had, if you make this decision, right. who have a lot of experience coaching in this league. Uh, but look, you know, I want them to do what they think is the very best. They have information. I always say this about the organization, whatever organization it is making a decision. They have way more information than you do. Right. Whatever you think they have, whatever you think you have, they've got more. Right. <laughs> and, exactly. And, you know, hopefully, they, hopefully they make a great decision and, uh, and it gets the Texans a ton of wins and an eventual Super Bowl and all of that. And we're here for it. Thank you, my friend. You got it.